Every one of us uh, have a need for improvement in prayer. Is that true for you? I know it's true in my life. We're in Luke chapter 18 this morning as we make our journey through this gospel of Luke called the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus is coming to a point in the scriptures where he talks about prayer and he gives us two vital prescriptions for a healthy life of prayer. And he does that by telling two parables and we're going to be reading those this morning. Luke chapter 18, I'm going to read verses 1 to 14, and you'll notice the two parables that he talks about here. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, there was a certain city, a judge, who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice from me for my adversary, and he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, Though he bears long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? And he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Father, I pray that your word would be powerful today. Our Father and our God, we ask that you give us ears to hear your word, hearts to love it, and wills to live by it. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Two parables Jesus told, and he was making a point and teaching some things about prayer. And the first le- parable teaches about persistence in prayer, verses 1 through 8. And there's a contrast between an unjust judge and a persistent widow. Well, the unjust judge did not want to do anything for the widow, but by her continual coming, He finally relented and gave her what she asked. So Jesus begins this parable by telling the main point. Often he doesn't do that, but here in these two parables, he tells, tells what the main point is before he even tells the parable. And the main point was, is a, is a plea to pray and not to faint or not to lose heart. 
pray and not faint or give up. And all through scriptures, we are challenged and encouraged not to give up in our praying, not to faint in our praying. Jesus told the disciples when he left them to go into the Garden of Gethsemane, watch with me, stay awake and stay alert. And of course, when he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, he came back and found that they not only fainted, they, they, they went to sleep. I know that the football season is upon us. High school football is all around, and especially in this oppressive heat, they're doing special things, making sure that these players get enough to drink, making sure that they have breaks so that they don't faint and suffer heat exhaustion or heat stroke. Well, we, as believers, have the same problem. And that's why Jesus is trying to teach us not to give up, not to lose heart in prayer. We find in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul wrote and challenged us with these words, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Those two words that stick out in that verse is earnestly and vigilant. To be earnest in prayer means to be courageously persistent. Keep on praying. And to be vigilant means staying alert and not vague and unfocused. I don't, ever, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm praying, I seem to get into a mental fog and, and, and I just lose track of what's going on. We need to be persistent and vigilant when we pray. I hope that that's true in our lives, that we keep on persisting in prayer, praying for our lost loved ones and not giving up, praying for the revival in God's house, praying for open doors for the gospel, praying for family members that have strayed away and grandkids to come back to the Lord, praying for our own soul that the Holy Spirit takes hold in my life to delight in the Word of God and that that we would love His Word more, that we are persistent and continuing in prayer. Real prayer takes effort. Did you notice that when you get on your knees to pray, usually some things happen if you're able to get on your knees. I I realize that some of you have had expensive replacements and you don't want to damage them by getting on on your knees anymore. But when you go to prayer, a lot of times we, we begin prayer and our mind starts to wander. We're thinking about what we're going to have for lunch. We're thinking about a bill that we forgot to pay. I mean, that has happened. You know why? One of the reasons is because the flesh, it goes against the flesh, and especially it goes against Satan when things start distracting us. The reason the flesh and the devil hates it when Christians are beginning to pray and mean business with God We know that the devil trembles when he sees the child of God on his knees. So Jesus chose to illustrate our need to be persistent and not faint and give up by telling this parable. Let's look at this pitiless, hard-boiled judge in verse 2. It says that the judge did not fear God or Did he care about man and man's problems? That's a a terrible thing to be a judge when you don't even care about people, don't even care about what God says, especially in a Jewish context when judges were were supposed to be uh, 
appointed because of their understanding of the Old Testament law and God. But this judge was unloving and without mercy. Now, we need to understand the the kind of Eastern um, setting of this parable. Now, the judges did not have a courtroom in that day. It was not a fine building, but probably a tent that was moved from place to place as the judge covered his circuit. And it was the judge who set the agenda. He sat uh, regally in the tent, surrounded by his assistants, and anybody could watch the proceedings from the outside, but only those who were approved and accepted could have their cases tried. Tried. Well, this usually meant bribing one of the assistants so that you could get in to see the judge and have your case listened to. The judge, which feared not God, had no reverence for God and didn't care about people. And, of course, that never happens today, does it? Our judges are always fair. Do you realize that in American national history in 1857, the highest judges in the land reached a verdict called the Dred Scott decision that said slaves were not persons under the Constitution and were to be treated as mere personal property of their owners. And that was decreed by the Supreme Court of the United States, talking about uh, judges that don't understand. We look back at the 19th century court Dred Scott decision and are embarrassed about it, ashamed about it, and thinking it's almost impossible that the highest court in the land would make that in 1857. But what about 1973, when the highest court in the land in the decision of Roe versus Wade made abortion legal. Well, I tell you, sometimes we get the picture that there's unjust judges and cold-hearted judges today as well. Well, this was the case. This guy was not a fear of God, didn't really care about people. He set up court, and now we're introduced to a relentless, aggrieved widow. Now, a poor woman in a parable here had no power or authority in the ancient culture. First of all, she was a woman. Second, she was a widow. Society did not reach out and help widows. As a matter of fact, there was no social security back in the day. If you were a widow, you would either have a relative take care of you, or the church in the New Testament, we read that they did take care of widows. And if you didn't have that, you would starve. And this widow had no recourse. So she perhaps went to the judge, said, Your Honor, please hear my case. Avenge me. Vindicate me against my adversary. Now, we don't know what the adversary was or what was her case. Perhaps after her husband died, someone came and was going to take away her home. And she would be just left begging on the street. So she went to this judge and said, Please hear this case against this guy that's tried to take away my home. And the judge simply said, go away, lady. You're bothering me. I've got other things to do. Well, in verse 5, we find that the scripture says her continual coming. So perhaps the next day she would go up to the judge, knocked on the, the door and says, Mr. Judge, it's me again. Uh, the lady that you wouldn't listen to yesterday Please, I'm begging you, I have nobody to turn to except you. 
You're the only person in the world that can help me. So please listen to my case. The judge said, I told you to go away. I'm not going to hear your case. Quit bothering me. Well, the next day after, <laughs> knock, knock on the door. Your Honor, it's me again. I was here yesterday and the day before that. I'm asking that you do what you're paid to do, please. I can't afford an attorney. Um, will you please listen to my case? You're supposed to do this, and you're a judge under God. And um, you don't understand, lady. I don't believe in God, and I don't care about people. Go away and stay away. Now, we're not told this, but perhaps she stalked him in the marketplace and tried to find where he would get his vegetables and try to find him, or maybe went to his home. We're not told what to do, but the next day, she came back again. Knock, knock on the door. Honor, please, you're my only hope. Hear my case. Jesus told exactly what happened. The judge said to himself after a while, I don't fear God. I don't care about people. But this woman is driving me crazy. She's troubling so much. I'll vindicate her. I'll listen to her. Why did he decide that? Was it because, well, I need to stop this because if I, if I don't listen to her, I'm perpetrating an injustice. No, he didn't care about that. Uh, lest I offend a holy God. No, he didn't care about God. Lest I be regarded as inhumane. No, I will vindicate her, lest by her continually coming, she wears me out. I, I got to hear her case because she's troubling me too much to get her off my back. An unjust judge. You know the irony of this case, the Lord Jesus told this parable. He would very soon towards the end of the Gospel of Luke, face another unjust judge who didn't rule on the basis of the truth because actually the judge says, I find no fault in this man. Yet, when the crowds cried out, crucify him, he says, go and crucify him. Of course, the unjudge, unjust judge in this case is Pilate. There's a contrast in this passage of Scripture and the contrast is very simple. God's willingness to answer prayer. Jesus was not only making a contrast, he was making more than a contrast. He was saying, just as this unjust judge gave in to this woman because she wearied him, we have an almighty, loving, heavenly Father that cares about us if this crooked and corrupt, miserable human being who holds the office of a judge, who has no regard for God and no concern about people, will answer this woman because she is continually knocking on his door, how much more shall God, who loves you, who cares for his children, be willing to hear and vindicate you in your request? Oh, Jesus is telling us that our Heavenly Father is kind and loving. We do not approach a heartless courtroom. We approach a throne of grace. Oh, my friend, don't faint. Don't lose heart. 
God loves you. God will hear your prayers. And it may not be always what we want. It may not be always how or when. But God listens to his children. So continue to come. Don't give up praying for that lost loved one. Don't give up praying for God's will to be done in your marriage and your family. Keep on coming to the throne of God's grace. Persistence in prayer. There's something else that Jesus taught in the second parable, and that's humility in prayer. And this parable teaches a contrast between a self-righteous Pharisee and a penitent tax collector. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Now again, Jesus gives the point of the parable even before he tells it. And the point of the parable is the plea not to exalt self or look down on others. Luke tells us that Jesus directed this parable to a specific group of people who put their trust and confidence in their own righteousness. This was the whole problem with the Pharisees. They trusted themselves and their, their self-righteousness, and they despised others. They looked down on other people that they considered not as good or not as righteous as themselves. And I'm sure that there's people like that here in the house of God today that think that they're better than other people. And Jesus is telling us this, pel- this parable. As a matter of fact, uh, I don't know if any of you have heard of a a program called Evangelism Explosion. That was uh, an evangelistic uh, outreach uh, program that was conducted in a lot of churches. And they always had two questions to start a conversation. The first question that the interviewer would ask to a person that they would talk to about the Lord, have you come to the place in your thinking where you know for sure that when you die you will go to heaven. Well, most people that were asked were not sure that they were going to go to heaven. So the second question was asked, suppose you were to die tonight and you were to stand before God and God would look at you and say, why should I let you into my heaven? Most people, when they asked, were asked that, would say, well... I guess I've kept, kind of kept the commandments. <laughs> I guess uh, I went to church, or I'm not as bad as some other people. It usually had something to do with being good and righteousness, self-righteousness. Well, let's look at this self-righteousness of the Pharisee. The Pharisee says this. In verse 11, he stood... And he prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I'm a cut above the average Joe in the pew. Uh, Other men like extortioners, the unjust, and I'm definitely not, not like those adulterers. I'm not even like this tax collector who's over there by the door. I, I know him and I am better than them. Now, there was a, a word that the Pharisees used called the Am Haretz, meaning the people of the earth. I'm different than these people of the earth. And they, 
Pharisees devoted themselves to the righteousness and obeying the law. They were meticulous and they were scrupulous in their daily devotion to spiritual duties. It was required of the Jewish people to fast twice a year. Well, these Pharisees had beat. They fasted twice a week. And if they were walking down the street and they found a dime, I don't know if they had dimes back in Bible days, but if they, ha- they found a dime on the sidewalk, they would tithe a penny of that dime, 10% of that. They were so meticulous and zealous for their obedience to God, they were regarded in the community as the spiritual leaders of the entire nation, yet it was this group of people that gave Jesus the hardest times at all. So this self-righteous Pharisee is praying with himself, and he's thanking God that he's not like anybody else. Now Jesus tells the other person that went to the temple to pray, and we see the humility of the tax collector. In verse 13, the tax collector, standing afar off, probably this means standing away from as far as you could get from the Holy of Holies, the actual place where the presence of God was to dwell in the temple. He didn't feel worthy to get even close, so he probably got in and stayed way back by the door, standing afar off. And it also says he would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. He, and the, the Pharisees were praying like this. They were thanking God for this. The Pharisee, or the publican, he, he looked at his self. He, he looked down because he didn't feel worthy to look up to God. And he beat upon his breast, uh, similar to, to rending your garments. It was it's great sorrow. He's beating on his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me. And a better translation, a sinner, meaning the sinner. I'm the one. He was not just one among many. He was the sinner. He acknowledged his sin Now, tax collectors were called publicans. And if you were a Jew back in Bible times, tax collectors were like the scum of the earth. Because, see, they were Jews that were hired by the Romans to collect taxes of their fellow Jews. (laughs) And Rome had a certain amount uh, that they were required to get, but their profit was to charge more than what Rome. That was kind of the the overflow. That's a problem Zacchaeus had in the next chapter we're going to get to soon. But they would overcharge, so everybody hated them, not just because of their overcharging. They hated them because they were looked as an extension of Rome. And these are Jews, and they were the lowest form of life in the eyes of the Jews. So the tax collectors sometimes become rich on the commissions they made from serving Ro- Rome against their own people. So, and every time um, a tax collector would come into the village, the people's hearts would swell with fury and hatred against them. So, in this parable, Jesus is talking about the most respected Pharisee, uh, Pharisees and the most despised, the publican, the tax collector. Well, the tax collector came in, and perhaps God was working powerfully in his heart You have to be pretty callous to be a tax collector. But something happened in his life. And it led him to come to the house of God. And he was broken so much that he stood by the door, standing afar off. He would 
He wouldn't come any closer to the holy place. He was in fear and trembling just inside the outer court. He would not even lift his face to heaven. His gaze was on the floor. And he beat on his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He didn't have anything to bring to God except his sin and except his guilt. The tax collector did not come before God and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But after all, I was born in a, in a negative environment, a rough neighborhood. I was abused as a child, and I didn't get the self-esteem that I needed to, to be a functioning human being. Lord, <laughs> I know I'm a sinner, but, you know, it's not all my fault. <laughs> no, he didn't pray that way. His face was looking down. He was beating on his breast, and he said, God, be merciful to me. These two guys come to the temple. And you know what Jesus says as he observes these two people? He says, he pronounces this publican justified. Justified. He ended this little parable by saying, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. The man who couldn't even look up to heaven, who couldn't even get near the Holy of Holies, who would beat upon his chest and repent of his sins and plead for the mercy of God. He threw himself on the mercy of God. One of those men went home dignified, but the other went home justified. Which of the two are you? Perhaps you're going to go home today. Are you going to go home justified? If you're sitting in this building today, you're not justified. Don't leave here until you are. You see, this publican, only thing he had was the grace of God. And he was declared righteous by the Lord Jesus. You see, it wasn't because of the works of righteousness that he did, but his admission that there's nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling. I wonder if I would ask that question that evangelism explosion asked. If you would die tonight and you would stand before God and God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Would you say, I'm good. I'm pretty righteous. I, I go to church I give money once in a while in the offering plate. I, I'm better than that so-and-so over across the pew, over on the other side. I don't know which side you, you're sitting on, but I'm better than them. <laughs> no, that won't you get you there. The only thing that will get you there is to answer something like that. God, I know I don't deserve to get into heaven. I know I'm a sinner. But you said in your word that if I believe in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, I can, I can be saved and have him as my savior. Oh, my friend, have you done that? I hope that you have trusted Jesus Christ as your savior. This parable teaches a couple lessons. I hope that we get fed up with our faint-hearted praying and that we are persistent as we approach the throne of God. And I hope that we get real with God and see ourselves as we really are, clinging only to the grace of Almighty God. Will you bow your heads with me? Father in heaven.
I come to you today and I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that is not sure their sins have been forgiven, they're not sure what to say if God would ask them, why should I let you into heaven? I pray that God, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, that liberating truth would sink deep down into someone's soul today and pray that if there's one here that is not sure that they're going to heaven, oh God, help them to make sure right now, today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our closing song.